Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Renika Cheney, and um, I'm a woman shepherd here at Christ Central. And today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. And it says, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up, the servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is uh, my great privilege uh, to be back together with you here today and uh, to be in the room when God shows up and is up to something. I don't know about each of you, but for the last several years, uh, your brothers and sisters at Hope have struggled. Uh, George Floyd, COVID, the political divisions in the church, and cancer. Uh, We've been through the ringer, and it sounds like you guys have too. And in the midst of these trials, uh, we as a church have had to learn to do two really important things. We've had to learn how to groan, and we've had to learn how to be grateful. In our passage today, Jesus explains why that is necessary. As we just heard in Matthew 13, he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him, No. He said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. 
Here, Jesus is explaining something all of us already know. There is something wrong with life here on earth. Things are happening here that shouldn't be happening. Whether it's the natural calamities of cancer or the human calamities of murder, there are weeds among the wheat down here. So why would God allow this to take place? After all, if God is both all-powerful and all-good, shouldn't he be intervening more often to stop these tragedies from occurring? Jesus answers that question directly a few verses later. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Here Jesus explains that the field of our lives are full of weeds because human beings are born into the midst of a cosmic conflict where God's children of the kingdom of heaven grow up right beside the children of the evil one who from the beginning of human history has sought to undermine God's good intent both for humanity and for the creation he designed for us to rule. In fact, Jesus is explaining here that God temporarily tolerates evil. And that fact necessitates groaning. Romans 8, 18-23, the Apostle Paul said this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be also set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. But why would God do that? Why does God tolerate human evil instead of intervening immediately? Jesus explains why in verse 27. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he said. So do you want us to go up and pull them up? The servants asked him, No, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. The reason that God tolerates evil is that he loves wheat more than he hates weeds. 
Or to put that another way, God loves you more than he hates your neighbor's sin. But to be clear, God does hate sin. Romans 12, 9, NIV says it this way, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In order for God to be love personified, there are things he has to hate. He has to hate things like cancer and sex trafficking and all forms of political oppression. And there will be a day when God's patience with weeds runs out and he punishes their sins. Jesus calls this the end of the age. Verse 37, he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and He will gather from His kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where they, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. This is actually very good news because without it, Nonviolence now doesn't make any sense. Miroslav Volf explains it this way in his book, Exclusion and Embrace. He says this, My thesis is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular with the man in the West. But imagine speaking to people as I have whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground, whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit, your point to them, we should not retaliate? Why not? I say the only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Violence thrives today secretly nourished by the belief that God refuses to take the sword. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. There will be a day when God crushes evil underneath your feet. Romans 16, 19 and 20, the report of your obedience has reached everyone Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. But that day isn't today. Today, we experience God's patience. 2 Peter 3, 3-9, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, 
scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here the apostle Peter, near the end of his life, is explaining that the promise God made to Noah is what the theologians call the Noahic Covenant. And it's the reason that God is restraining himself. Because of this promise, God allows his children and the children of the evil one to grow up side by side, extending common grace to all of them so that he can give special grace to the people he plans to rescue from the family of the evil one and adopt into his family through Jesus' work on our behalf. See, common grace exists to give special grace the time to finish its work. So what is common grace? Well, common grace is the grace that God uses to preserve creation by restraining just how much harm sinful human beings can do and by giving the gifts of creation to all human beings regardless of their relationship with him. Jesus explained it this way in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's grace. That's common grace. He gives it to everyone because of his compassions and his patience. Because God is patient like this, Frederick Beekner perfectly describes the common grace environment that you and I are all born into when he said this. The grace of God means something like this. Here's your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It is for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and receive it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. So how do we do that? How do we receive the gift of grace God is giving us by giving us life? 
Jesus tells us in the final verse of our passage today when he says this, beginning in verse 40, Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. And here's how. Let anyone who has ears listen. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He's claiming to be the Son of Man. Now that's a technical term from the Hebrew Scriptures. It appears in Daniel 7 where Daniel had this vision. He said, beginning in verse 13, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. See, here Jesus warns us that there will be a day when common grace ends. A day when he calls forth the legions of angels that he could have commanded to come down and take him off the cross and allows them to rid the earth of sickness sorrow, and sin by removing forever all of those who refuse to listen to him. So how does the judge of all the earth want humans to live during the age of common grace? Well, he wants us to groan over weeds while being grateful for wheat. Romans 12, 9 through 15, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Christ Central Church, you excel at this. You excel at this. This is your unique gift. Dr. Kelly Capick describes you well in his book called You're Only Human when he says this, Despite pressures from both outside and within the church, lament and thanksgiving are not in a contest. The Bible calls for both. Don't pick between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. Believers are allowed to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me in their distress and at the same time confidently declare, The Lord is my shepherd. These expressions are not tied to good and bad times, but to the one God who is present in both. We gain confidence in God's kindness and provision when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We try to choose If we try to choose one and not both, we risk turning our laments 
into hopeless despair or reducing divine promises into shallow cliches. When we engage in both lament and gratitude, then each becomes stronger and truer. That's you. Stronger and truer. So how do we do that? How do we both lament and engage in gratitude in a manner where each becomes stronger and truer? The Apostle Paul tells us how in 1 Timothy 1, 15-17, when he says this, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. See, only when we receive God's common grace to us as the merciful product of his intent to show extraordinary special grace to us, will we be both grateful for the grace and love we received from Jesus while grieving our sin and death, right? Only as we're able, like Paul, to go, oh, all that common grace you guys are having to endure is because of me. I was on my way to kill you, (laughs) and Jesus didn't kill me. He saved me so that I could proclaim the good news of his mercy and his patience with fools like me to fools like you. The best modern example I've seen of this, this ability to groan while being grateful, is in a blog post by a woman named Kristen Markzuski. I can't get her name right. She changed her name professionally to Nightbird, and I can see why with the last name like that. (laughs) She appeared in the 2021 version of America's Got Talent as a singer-songwriter with terminal cancer. And since that time, she's gone to be with the Lord. Near the end of her life, she uh, put a blog out, and here's an excerpt from her blog. She said, I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, he will say I disappointed him or offended him, or failed him. Maybe he'll say, I just never learned the lesson, or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this, he can never say that he did not know me. I'm God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called him a cheat and a liar, and I'm in it. I've told him I wanted to die, and I'm in it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall on the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset, 
Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale. I have laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arm. Call me cursed. Call me lost. Call me scorned. But that is not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with the loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go and lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there even now. I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they don't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see him look lower, God is on the bathroom floor. Which brings us to this table. Earlier we heard Miroslav Volf say that if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. Well, John Stott said something that sounds like it's opposite. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it. And here, we see both. On the cross, the judge of all the earth, who will send forth the legion of angels to scour the earth of sin and sinners who are unrepentant, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that God on the cross, while sinners mocked him, and said, hey, you've saved other people, why don't you save yourself? Chose not to call down those legions of angels and instead suffer God's judgment for our sins on the cross so that we could be called out of being weeds and into being wheat. That God is the God who on that night when he was going to be betrayed got down on the bathroom floor by saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take of it, each of you. And this is my blood, which is shed for you. Drink of it for the remission of your sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you tell us the truth and that part of what you tell us is that right now we're not home yet, but that you are with us And that even though in this world we will have trouble, we can take heart because you have overcome the world and in your broken body and shed blood have provided a way for us to escape this broken and fallen world and leave behind the groaning and enter into your hall, to your kingdom, to the place that you have prepared for us with grateful hearts. 
We thank you and praise you for that today. Amen.